I'm a huge planner. So whenever my wife, Radhi and I would go on our adventures, I'd meticulously plan out our itineraries and book our accommodations in advance. It's like a yearly tradition that we do. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to every step of the way. Whether I want to be a simple guy nestled in the countryside or be the stylish and modern guy in the heart of the city, Booking.com never fails to offer a wide range of options that perfectly suit your preferences and they have everything you need to turn your travel dreams into reality, offering accommodations here in the US. Plus, the ease of booking through the app makes the whole process a breeze. So trust me when I say, when it comes to planning unforgettable getaways, Booking.com is where it's at. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com. Booking.yeah. Herbs have been a huge part of my wellness journey. Thanks to my Indian roots, My mom introduced them to me and I saw firsthand how they worked wonders for both body and mind. And when it comes to keeping my digestion in check, slippery elm bark and ginger root are my go-tos. Our sponsor, Nature's Way, has over 50 years sourcing these herbs and many more that can promote digestive health. Visit naturesway.com forward slash herbs and use code J10 at checkout for 10% off any herbal supplements through June 30. Terms apply. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I couldn't be more excited to share something truly special with all you tea lovers out there. And even if you don't love tea, if you love refreshing, rejuvenating, refueling sodas that are good for you, listen to this. Radhi and I poured our hearts into creating Juni Sparkling Tea with adaptogens for you because we believe in nurturing your body and with every sip, you'll experience calmness of mind, a refreshing vitality and a burst of brightness to your day. Juni is infused with adaptogens that are amazing natural substances that act like superheroes for your body to help you adapt to stress and find balance in your busy life. Our Super 5 blend of these powerful ingredients include green tea, ashwagandha, acerola cherry, and lion's mane mushroom, and these may help boost your metabolism, give you a natural kick of caffeine, combat stress, pack your body with antioxidants, and stimulate brain function. Even better, Juni has zero sugar and only five calories per can. We believe in nurturing and energizing your body while enjoying a truly delicious and refreshing drink. So visit drinkjuni.com today to elevate your wellness journey and use code on purpose to receive 15% off your first order. That's drinkjuni.com and make sure you use the code on purpose. We are often drawn to a person who brings characteristics that we are trying to get away from. Are you looking for chemistry for a love story or are you looking for chemistry for a life story? He's a psychotherapist, author, and host. A round of applause to welcome Esther Perel. How do you turn conflict into connection? It's not what you fight about, it's what you fight for. How do you know if a relationship is worth saving?
Before we jump into this episode, I'd like to invite you to join this community to hear more interviews that will help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. All I want you to do is click on the subscribe button. I love your support. It's incredible to see all your comments, and we're just getting started. I can't wait to go on this journey with you. Thank you so much for subscribing. It means the world to me. The number one health and wellness podcast. Jay Shetty. Jay Shetty. The one, the only Jay Shetty. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health and wellness podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every one of you that come back every week to become happier, healthier, and more healed. Today's guest is someone that we've had on before and you loved her. I know you loved her before, but you loved her on the show and I couldn't wait to get her back on because we've never actually met in person until this day. I've loved her books from afar. We've connected over messagings and emails and we have so many mutual friends and I'm so grateful that I finally get to sit in her presence today and actually get to do this interview face to face. Please welcome back to On Purpose, Esther Perel. Esther, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for making the time. Thank you. I'm genuinely so grateful. It's a pleasure to be here in 3D. Yes, exactly. After all these years, I think the first time I interviewed you must have been during the pandemic or something like that. I mean, I remember, I, I remember very clearly seeing you through the screen and saying, oh, this is a new life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Esther, let's dive straight in because I have so many questions today. I have questions from me. I have questions from our audience. We have questions from social media. We're going to get to play your game as well, which I'm very excited about and pick some questions from. But my first question is, how do you know if a relationship is worth saving. Shall I stay or shall I go? Is one of the fundamental questions. And here's the thing. Even if you decide to stay, or even if they decide to go, you may do so while at the same time having a part of you that actually holds the other side. If you think that the decision is 100% perfect, no doubt, no hesitation, then it's a setup. If you leave, you need to be able to leave while experiencing the loss of some things that may have been good, even if it's just a dream of what was. If you stay, you have to be able to grieve the part of you that will never know what it would have been like if you actually left. So the answer is not in the extreme determination. It's in the ability to hold the inherent contradictions. It's a complex question and complex questions don't have easy binary answers. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we crave a binary, easy answer. We want it to feel, we often seek complete clarity when we're trying to make a decision rather than accepting that a decision is followed by consequences, a, consequences and a number of different feelings. You use the word grief there. Yes. And I've seen research that shows how when someone breaks up with you or when you break up with someone, you almost crave them like we crave an addiction that may even be unhealthy for us at times. Why do you use the word grief? And can you walk us through both of those losses of identity that you spoke about on either end? So grief is because I think every choice comes with loss. The consequence is the choice you didn't make. And even though you think this is the right choice and this is what I must do, the grief may be the fact that you didn't, you were not capable of making this thing work or that you had such high hopes and it didn't materialize or that you have wished that you didn't make some mistakes that you made or that you wish you had left sooner. Mm -hmm. 
There's lots of dangerous ways, but there is no choice that doesn't have loss and therefore some grief attached to it. And that is the nature of the beast. That does not mean that you didn't make the right choice. In terms of heartbreak, it's a different part. Yes, some people experience heartbreak with such an ache, with such a sense of longing and such a sense of fracturing on the inside that they are, that their longing becomes obsessive, that they are trapped in rumination and that it is experienced like a withdrawal. That is not all breakups, but that is the extreme kind of breakup, which has been compared to an addiction because of the intense sense of withdrawal and because it takes place in the same centers in the brain. Mm. Let's say someone does want to save their relationship. Mm. They want to make it work. What does that take on a deeper level from that individual? What have you seen over the years of what it really takes? I think we often think of saving a relationship as like, Let's do more date nights. Let's spend more time together. Let's do more this. But what have you seen it really takes from a human? So look, I work with relationships for 40 years. These are questions that I can answer in multiple ways. So mm -hmm. I'm going to answer it in one way with you today. And somebody's going to say, but you didn't talk about that. So I just want to preface that because there isn't a one size fits all. And when I'm going to highlight something now with you, because it's the first thing that came into my mind when you asked, what can we do to actually repair our relationships, strengthen them, fortify them, solidify them, enliven them? One of the first thing I often think about is accountability. It's actually not asking the other person to do all the changing. Somebody's going to tell me, but what if you've done that and it hasn't made any difference on the other side? So I just want that to be mentioned. In general, in relationships, we often get to a place where we think you need to change. Here, I'm going to tell you what you could do differently that would make this relationship better. And the hardest thing to do is to actually say, what can I do? Because if you change, it is quite sure that it will also create change on the other side because we are interdependent parts. In a relationship, I start to do something which makes you do something, which makes me do something. It's a figure eight. But if I start to do something else, sooner or later, you cannot continue to do the same. If I no longer answer you when you say something, there's a good chance that at some point you're going to stop saying it because you don't get the reaction that you've been used to get. So there's no better way to change the other than to change ourselves. But that's not a hundred percent thing. It's just a good principle to keep in mind. What is it that I can do differently? What's one thing I could choose that I know would improve the relationship because I've heard you or because I know us. And if I don't instantly walk out every time, but I actually stay and I listen and I pay attention Will that create something rather than thinking about, you know, all the good reasons why I should get out or leave in that moment? So this accountability piece is very high on my list. But there are 10 other things about what makes us work on a relationship to improve it. Mm. And you talked about there how, you know, trying to change the other person isn't necessarily the focus. But for so many of us, that seems to be the problem. The problem seems to be the other person's behaviors, their attitude, their approach to life, maybe their aspirations. I hear a lot of people say things like, they don't dream enough. They don't dream, they dream too little, right? Like oh, too it's much. A, too much, sorry, that's it, yeah. 
I hear some people say they they don't dream enough, they dream too much. Yes. I hear people say, oh, they have too many friends, they have no friends, right? I see people at both ends of the spectrum, we always seem to have issues with how our partners live. And what I've learned, at least in my own personal reflection, and I've found is that for a long time in my relationships, I often projected the way I lived onto my partner. And I we so strongly believe that the way we live is right. The way we were brought up is right. That we want our partner to kind of follow suit. And I always give this very small example from my own home, but in my house, we used to eat, hang out, and then at the end of the night, we'd wash the dishes. In my wife's home, they used to eat, wash the dishes, and then hang out. And so when we got married and we started living together and when we were having friends over or whatever it may be, in my mind, we're gonna eat, we're gonna hang out, and then we're gonna wash the dishes. And in my wife's uh, mind, she's thinking, we're gonna eat, now we have to clean up, make sure everything's clean, and then we can hang out. And something as little as that can cause so much- Friction. Friction and bad communication and feelings of, oh, you don't care about me and you don't love me and you don't appreciate me or you don't value the work. And there's so much that comes from something. And that's just a very small example. But it's interesting to me that in that scenario, we both had not created a new belief system for our relationship, but were operating based on two old belief systems that we'd simply adopted. Uh, walk us through whether you agree, whether you disagree, whether you can edit that, reveal more to us about, I find so many of our challenges exist because we project our operating system onto someone else rather than creating one with them. I like the way you call it the operating system. So I'm going to take a sentence that you Please. highlighted and start from there. You said, here we were fighting about what's the right moment to do the dishes. But in fact, it, what we were talking about is you don't care. You don't see me. You don't appreciate me. You want it your way. And what you're highlighting here is something that I've actually talked a lot about in a new course that I'm doing on conflict, which is exactly that. How do you turn conflict into connection? And one of the things I say is that it's not what you fight about, it's what you fight for. You were fighting for recognition. You were fighting for power and control. You were fighting for respect. You were fighting for trust and closeness. Underneath the fight, there are usually three sets of issues that we are actually fighting for. And that is power, trust, and value. Mm. So you don't value me. You know, I worked on this dish, on this cooking. I've made this nice meal. I prepared. I tried to be kind to your friends and you don't value me. So Once true. you've understood that, what is the hidden dimension that you are actually fighting for? The fight, the dishes, the when to do them becomes a lot more clear. A lot more clear rather than, it's not just I'm imposing my belief on you and I wanted to do my way because my way is the right way. That's, you may think this way, but the question is what happens when you have to confront yourself with someone who is different? I mean, everything about relationships is about straddling sameness and difference, you know? And when you are a couples therapist, it's very typical that people come to you and they're like a drop-off center, right? They tell you, you know, here, my relationship, here's my partner, let me tell you what's wrong with them and maybe you can fix them and I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be your adjunct. Yeah, 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 you know, exactly. On how to make my partner <laughs> understand why my family's way of doing things is the best way of doing things. It's a very good way. 
And so then the question is, if you have to change your mind, does that mean that it's a loss of your identity? Mm-hmm. Or can you actually experience that as an expansion, as something that you let in? How do you let the other person influence you without being constantly in a defense of your, you know, this is my flag and mm-hmm. here are my values or my operation system? Yeah, I, I really, really relate to what you're saying. And I love how you've broken it down to what we're fighting for versus what we're fighting about. I think that's brilliant. And that's from your masterclass, right? No, this no? is from my own new course. Oh, this is from your own new I course. I am coming it, out it, with it, very soon. And that is really about letting people have a very different view and set of skills for handling conflict. Got like it. this one. Yeah. You know, at first it was a nice thing you didn't fight about. You just said, we do it. Oh, that's so interesting. No, let's do it now. No, let's... And then slowly, because you couldn't come into a unified agreement, it became a point of contention. Mm. And then that point of contention became the go-to every time you need to talk about your backgrounds, your values, your style, your priorities, your way of doing. I think we feel so robbed, or at least when I speak to people about this, they feel so robbed, as you said, of their identity. But also, as you said, people feel robbed of their power that if I give in Mm -hmm. to this other person, Mm -hmm. my partner may be the more powerful one in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Or if I concede, then in the future when we're making decisions, Mm -hmm. they're going to think I'm going to concede. And often that is the case that people get into relationships because they think the other person is submissive or conceding to them or agrees with them on everything they say. And then one one day that person goes, wait a minute, I didn't realize I just gave up everything I care about for you. And so... How does one learn how to practice that humility and giving up of power? Or is the solution a unified agreement, as you called it just there? What are we, what are we trying to unravel? How do we do that? Because I think that... But you just betrayed yourself in the question. Okay. Your whole question is framed in power terms. Concede, acquiesce, give in, loss of self. And that's how people loss feel. Loss of power. Yes, some people feel this way. That is one frame for some people to enter into a relationship. Mm -hmm. But if I actually change the word power, I could go like this. In every relationship, you will find that there often is one person who is more afraid of losing the other and one person who is more afraid of losing themselves. Mm -hmm. One person more afraid of abandonment and rejection therefore more likely to acquiesce, to pacify, to placate, to say yes, until maybe one day not. And one person more afraid of suffocation, and therefore they fight for their ideas, their ways of doing it, the timing of the dishes. And that is less about power. That is more about the nature of connection. Mm. The majority of power struggles in a relationship are not power struggles. Power is the defense The control battle is the way people are defending, trying to get something for something else that they are worried about. Mm. It's the surface behavior. You know, some people, when they're afraid, they fight. But the issue is not fighting. The issue is that they're actually afraid and they're trying to deal with their fear by gaining control. Mm. So don't just go for what you see. Because what you see isn't necessarily just what it is. Mm -hmm. Go always looking at a level below. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of this. Yeah, exactly. And so you're encouraging those people that feel that way to look at that layer deeper, the context of why they're partner. Why do you think that giving in (laughs) makes you lose your identity? Where did you get that idea? 
Who did you have to fight with that you had a sense that if you don't go all the way and with fists, that's the motion of fighting, right? It's not this, you know, but you enter the relationship with that and yet you live it with this. Mm. So what happened to you that is making you continuously interpret every situation as a fight, as a power struggle, as uh, I have to stand up and hold on because if I give in, this is the beginning of a slippery slope. Mm. That's a frame. That is not the truth. Now, maybe you picked somebody with whom this is sometime what is going to happen. So then you ask this person, what happens if you don't get your way? Mm. For you, the question is, what happens if the other person gets their way? And for you, the question is, what happens when you don't get your way? Can you still feel confident even if you don't trample somebody? Yeah, and I think the questions you're asking that we all need to reflect on for ourselves, I almost think they're as important to ask our partners, like to understand what happened to them, like why they're in that position, why they get afraid. And I, I think that curiosity is so often lost in romantic relationships where we don't understand why someone is the way they are. We just assume that it's about us. Like we make it personal. We don't recognize that they have a whole history of relationships, of family, of parenting, of experiences that have made them that way. And maybe they are dealing with a deep fear or Uh a deep challenge. Does that resonate? Yes, you know, this thing about curiosity Mm. is the most important shift we try to make. Curiosity Mm. about yourself, and curiosity about your partner or friend or coworker, whoever the other is. Curiosity is on the other side of reactivity. So everything dealing with conflict is about helping us shift from reactive to reflective and curious. But more interestingly, what you reminded me of is a thing we, I talk about in the course that's called fundamental attribution error. If you are nasty or reactive or bullying me a bit, or even just simply if you're late, it, whatever you're doing, the, the tendency is to think that when you do this, it's because you have a negative personality. Mm. But if I am nasty or short or, you know, cutting a little bit, then it's because I had a tough day. Mm. Mine is circumstantial mm. and yours is characterological. Mm. And the loss of curiosity in relationships is because we tend to think that we are more complex than our partner. And that's what makes us not ask, what is your story with this? Why do you need to get things your way all the time? Why do you have to drill it in until I finally say whatever you want, dear, you know, we'll do it your way because unless you got it your way, you think that you are, you know, Mm. on the floor. Yeah, I think people, and Esther, you've, I mean, you've done this for decades now, like I'm sure you feel that what we're really addressing here, which I'm so happy that we've kind of gone in this direction, it's, <laughs> it's beautiful and I'm so happy that we're there, that this idea of, are you curious about yourself and why it's happening and what happened to you? Are you curious about your partner and what happened to them? Are you not making it personal? Are you thinking about working as a team, building unified agreements? All of this language is so positive and I genuinely believe that what we've just covered is so often missed in relationships because we're so busy pointing the finger and pointing the blame and pointing the responsibility that as you started off with, there's a lack of accountability. 
And that being such a brilliant shift to even just start it's with. It's liberating. Yeah. It's actually liberating for people to say, let me check myself for a minute. Mm. The fear that people have is, why me? Is it my problem? Why are you blaming me? No, no, no. Taking responsibility is liberating because the only thing you can really change is you. There's mm. a lot more freedom to do something about yourself than to go look for your partner on the other side. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I, I had a moment like please. that with my with, <laughs> recently. So I was up on the phone and I was a little agitated talking to banks and people and administrating bureaucracy, which gets me agitated. And, uh, <laughs> me and then my partner said, you know, you too. Yeah. <laughs> and then my partner says, my husband says to me, I have a headache. I said, what happened? He says, you've been so yelling here next to me in the car. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm trying to solve these problems. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't just say to me, you know, that's really frustrating. These people were like keeping you on the phone for an hour. You think I wanted to be on the phone for an hour with this? And I just feel like a little lack of empathy, please, a bit of sympathy, some support. And on top of it, I'm getting scolded now for my <laughs> attitude. <laughs> and I sat there and I began you know, brooding. And I said, okay, I'm not going to talk to you. You know, I thought if you don't want to, if, if I'm that unpleasant, well, then I'm not going to say anything. And then I sat in there and I'm thinking, I'm married almost 40 years. I'm thinking to myself, am I going to go do this one again? <laughs> you know, <laughs> why am I doing this? Why do I feel so upset? Why don't I just simply say, I can imagine that it was unpleasant to, so he says to me, why don't you say something about the fact that it's really annoying to sit next to someone who is so agitated? <laughs> and I'm thinking, why doesn't you say something about how frustrating it is that I need to be so agitated? <laughs> you know, and this could have turned into a real fight. Yeah. And luckily, a little bit of humor takes us out of it very quickly. It's like, we came like, how many minutes are we going to do this? Yes, yes, <laughs> you know? yes. And where was that coming from after all this time? Like, like you said, you've been together for four decades. You love each other. Like you trust each other. You, you've worked through so many of these things. What do you think it is that we're still fighting for in that moment? Like what, what is it? <laughs> because, because it doesn't go away. You're right. Like we it have two answers. Yeah. I mean, we, have, we would have very different answers to mm. your question, first mm. of all, just mm. so you understand. I mm. will tell you, I sometimes, you know, hear him talk in a situation like this and he's very, could you explain to me why this is? And I'm thinking, tell them that this is not right. <laughs> you know, and, and he says, afterwards he hangs up, says, I was very angry on the phone. <laughs> and I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> that is good. You know, so I don't think I get much further by mm. being more, you know, confrontational than actually I don't think I'm any more effective. I think these mm. situations are frustrating whichever way, mm -hmm. but we get into an argument over which of our approaches is the better one to talk with the bureaucracy. Mm. It's ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And it's... So it's, he thinks I'm, I should be nicer. Right, right, And right. I think he should be a little more... <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, yeah, and and what are you saying? Are you saying that neither approach matters, and we're arguing about something insignificant, or is no. it no? Here's the thing: you're in a situation where you are bound to not necessarily be successful. Yes, you're bound to experience some helplessness. Mm -hmm. It is frustrating. The situation is frustrating. Instead of dealing with the frustration of the situation, you start to blame the other person for mm -hmm. the fact that they didn't get to the result that you wanted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Instead of this kind of situation where you go back week after week with another person on the phone, automated yeah, yeah. thing, you know, and instead of allying together against the situation, it, you start to 
project onto the other. Why are you not competent so that I don't have to feel so helpless? Yes, 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 yeah. Wow, yeah, exactly. And uh, I can relate to that. We we had a similar one, kind of inverse to what you just said, but but a similar interaction where I remember my wife would often say to me, I've had a really tough day. And I'd take that as an opportunity to say- I had a tough day too, and mine was tougher. I would go go further, I'd say, I had a tough week. (laughs) You really (laughs) up I'm like, really up like, you know? And and it's like, I'm using her opportunity to be vulnerable and to share how she feels with me and to feel comforted and supported and just heard to be heard. I'm using her opportunity to be heard, to hear myself. It's kind of like when you were looking at me, looking at myself earlier, it's like that, that idea of, She's saying, hey, just sit with me for a second. And I'm saying, why not sit with me for a week and think about where I'm coming from? You have it tough. (laughs) Yeah. And then now it just turns into a a competition as to whose life is tougher. Right. And making the other person feel like their pain is not valuable or that their stress that they've gone through is insignificant compared to mine. And all of a sudden you're fighting for something that you don't even want to prove to your partner. Like, I don't want to make my partner feel like their pain is not valuable, but because I'm not honoring my challenge and my stress right. and what I'm going through, I'm expecting to use their space to do that. You just explained it very well. But sometimes, yeah, please. I mean, the effect is the same. You topping her, you know, in such a big way, completely says to her, you have nothing to complain about, yeah. which is not necessarily your intention, but it is often it is the way it the other across. person registers it. And then the question to you is, do you ever say to her, I have a tough week without her prompt? Yes. Because part of what happens is that you get prompted by the other person and it suddenly says, oh, if you give yourself the permission to say, to complain or to mm-hmm. just vent a moment, then maybe I get that permission too. Mm-hmm. And what changes it is to just, you know, A, is to acknowledge what has just been said and then to say, I have that feeling often too. Yeah. Yeah. But it is the competition. It is the, you suffer, I suffer more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, now something that's really helped me. Do you pers- use humor now? Yeah. My, my wife can make anything funny. So I rely on her to bring the humor in because she's just. Very she's, useful. Yeah, yeah. She's just, she's hilarious. She's a comedian. So not as in not professionally, yeah, yeah. she's just a funny person. And so she, she can always add that. But now what really helps me, and this is more what I'm like, is I'm kind of preemptive of stress. And so I'll sit down with them and be like, hey, I've got a really stressful week coming up. I just want you to be aware of that. Yep. And so, you know, if I'm a bit short or I'm running around or I'm not fully present, I just want you to be aware I've got a lot of stuff going on. And if you need me, of course, I'll be there, but just know. And I like to set that up and communicate that because to me, it gives me space to at least let her know where I'm coming from rather than to catch me in a bad moment. And then I end up behaving in a way that I'm not proud of, whereas now she's aware. So now she's mindful of that too. And she doesn't have to tiptoe around me or she doesn't have to be unaware, but it's the idea that she's conscious, that I get it. He's got three crazy days coming up and you know we, we can talk about something maybe the day after. Can I take this one a Please, step further? I'd love to, I'd love that. It's probably one of the most useful things I have seen changing in a relationship. Mm. When you do what you just do, you're attentive, you're caring, you let her know, you're apologetic. And being apologetic is very beautiful, but it still says, my life is very important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just want you to know, I'm not going to be there. The step that really changes it around is when you say to the other person, I'm so thankful that you are here 
because your being here is what enables me to go take care of, of my course, busy week. Yes. Because once you say it like that, you make the other person very important mm -hmm. and not my life is so important. Thank you for understanding it. You come mm -hmm. after. Mm -hmm. I'll be there if you need me, but you come after. Mm -hmm. The thanking reinforces the interdependence. And it's true because you couldn't go and attend to your life the way you do without having the other person do whatever it takes for you to be able to be absent for mm -hmm. a while. Mm -hmm. And when you acknowledge that, it makes them feel like they're part of the story mm -hmm. rather than they're on hold while your story unfolds. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I've always found that, at least for me, doing that separately in different contexts has at least helped me when it's not tied to the same context. But I love that idea and I, I fully agree with you. Like, you know, I think- It's a um, nice switch. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a tweak that really changes the power dynamic yeah. in the relationship yeah. in a small move. Yes, definitely. It's switching the significance from yourself yes. to, to this relationship yes. and the, yes. the support that you each provide. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I love that. I love what we're talking about. And you've probably heard this a million times and that's what I think it's important to address. A lot of people will say, I want to talk to my partner about these things. I mm -hmm. want to be curious about them. Mm -hmm. I want to ask them about their past. Mm -hmm. But every time I do, they shut down. Mm -hmm. They go quiet. They don't want to talk about it. If I, if I get curious and say, hey, you know, when we're not arguing, but when we're just talking and I say, hey, you know what? I just, I just wanted to figure out, like, is there anything that scares you from your past? Is there anything that worries you? Or is there any challenge you're going through? Like, how can I help you? And the other person goes, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm, I'm dealing with it. And people often feel like they get shut down when they're trying to be curious. I'm sure you've heard this a million times in sessions. And how have you, how have you dealt with that? Did you find any subscriptions you forgot about or any you paid for twice and didn't realize it? I personally experienced this where I received an email that said I paid for a subscription for an app I'm not even using anymore. Did you know nearly 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had only about five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for eight subscriptions each month. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never ending. Thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in cancelled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. And I love that I have full control over all my subscriptions and I can see it in one place. So if I see something I don't want anymore, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com forward slash J. That's rocketmoney.com forward slash J. Rocketmoney.com forward slash J. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B. 
But LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash on purpose to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash on purpose. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Whenever I travel, I feel like I become a new person. Like that time I explored the bustling streets of New York, I felt like I became Curious Jay, immersing myself in the vibrant culture and sampling exotic street food. And then there was that trip to the mountains where I transformed into Adventurous Jay, conquering hiking trails and embracing the breathtaking scenery. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to for all my adventures. Whether I'm exploring the bustling streets of New York or venturing into the serene mountains, Booking.com has a wide variety of options, offering accommodations all across the US and all around the world that suit every kind of traveler. So when you're ready to plan your next trip and discover new sides of yourself, remember to book with Booking.com. Whether you're craving adventure in a cabin, a bit of luxury in a fancy hotel, some quality family time in a vacation rental, or just some chill vibes at a beachside resort, Booking.com has you covered. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com, Booking.yeah. If you've tried to ask your partner a certain set of questions and you systematically get the same answer, mm-hmm. change tactic. The point is not doing it one more time, hoping that this time you're going to get a better response. <laughs> it's answer, a little yeah. bit like Moses and the rock, you yeah. know, the water won't flow. Yeah. So what I like is not to be so direct. Mm. You know, somebody told me recently that they had gone to uh, an offsite at work. So it started in a different context, but it's a good example. And she organized this whole offsite and she took a card from the game. From where should we begin? And the card was somebody who impacted your life and doesn't know it. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the whole group went through this question. And basically, people spoke that that you knew nothing about. People who never talk. And people who you thought you knew that came up with stories that you had no idea about. Try to do it in a more playful way. Try to do it sometimes as part of a dinner conversation. Try to do it with a question that is less on the nose, Mm -hmm. you know, and that invites you to start from anywhere you want. This is an interesting question that you can answer at so many levels of depth. Mm -hmm. There are many of those. If you just say, tell me about your past, no. You know, you saw this movie and you saw what happened there. It's like... Anything of that that, that that is familiar to you and, and you tell your story, yeah. you, you need to create a context. Yes. For many people, digging deep into the past is traumatizing, mm-hmm. aversive, scary, uninteresting, you know, or they don't have the vocabulary for it. Mm-hmm. It's the other thing. So that's why people have used the arts. Books, movies, plays, songs, poetry, they speak our human experience with, and we only have to say that, yeah. that's my thing. So sometimes I say to people, you know, how about you find some songs that express the stuff that you don't know how to talk about? Mm. And that's a much lighter lift than tell me about your past, you know, a character that represents the parent that you grew up with. 
and you go and find into a series, a television series, one of these characters. They're all, they've all been written about. Mm -hmm. Use other mediums, other vocabularies to open up stuff that people don't necessarily want to be in therapy with their partner. Yeah, I love that. That's such great advice. And I couldn't agree more. I always say, everyone who's listening to me, I always say to them, like, please don't force my book onto your partner. Like, please don't. Like, you may love my book, so you yeah, may love my work. put it on the night table. Yeah, yeah. Don't, please don't do that. And I always say to people, like, it's about speaking the language that your partner connects to. And that's what you're saying. The language could be music. The language could be art. The language could Correct. be movies. And I always talk about one of the reasons why I love having my podcast is because I get to speak to so many different people from so many different backgrounds, so many different walks of life, talking about similar things. You read a book a day. Yeah, exactly. And, and what I find is someone may relate to athletes more. So if an athlete is opening up about their mental health and their vulnerability or a challenge they have with a parent, your partner may respond to that more yeah. than they would a coach, a therapist, a psychologist, or one of your partners may respond to academics and scientists more than they would Agreed. to a guide. And it doesn't matter how they open up. And so I, I, I love that you said that. And I love that you said sometimes we're just trying the same strategy for too long. And, you know, like you said, on the nose, we kind of approach it in a very... Linear, direct, yeah, linear, literal yeah. way, like, tell me about, you know, you're doing this, what happened to you before, <laughs> you know, like a cause and effect, yeah. was, you know, play with it. Yeah, you're so trying to I be think, their therapist and you can't. I think play is a good thing. I think movement is important too. Mm, Many mm. people talk much more easily when they're walking, when yeah. they're hiking, when they're, um, you know, on a ski lift. Don't just sit and try to do face-to-face. -face. There's a reason that fishing is so good yes. because you do parallel play. Everybody's looking forward. Nobody has to lock eyes and it allows me to think out loud and to answer a question here and there. The other thing is sometimes the question comes later. Often there's one person that's much more articulate about some of these things than another. Mm -hmm. So find other mediums, other vocabularies and other settings. Start with that. Yeah, I love that. One of my favorite dates that me and my wife went on very early on was this activity in England called Go Ape. And what it is, is it's, a, it's like a ropes course that's high up in the air. So it's like 80 feet or whatever mm -hmm, up above mm -hmm. in the air. And you've got all these different like activities and things. So you're like swinging, you're like trying to walk on these steps. It's, it's challenging, but it's fun. Mm -hmm. And I remember having so much fun because there were activities that she found easy and I found hard and activities that I found easy and she found hard. And we could help each other. We could talk while we were doing it. There was a sense of support. And I think what you're saying is so true that I find that doing activities where we're both novices are really fun because when we're both getting a chance to see a new, fresh, unseen side of each other, we really get to play and really get to understand. If I'm in a position of strength, if I know a sport really well and she's never done it, then I'm not really learning anything new. I'm kind of just being there and mm -hmm. trying to be the teacher. And same vice versa. But if we both have no clue about something, like me and my wife took a surfing lesson for the first time in our life, like a couple of years ago when we went to Hawaii, we'd both never surfed in our life. You know, we're both from London and that wasn't accessible there. And we went on a first ever lesson and it was just hilarious. It was fun. It was silly. We were both learning about how much tolerance we both had and there was humor coming in and what skill set we had. And you're so right that adding movement to being together especially I find in ways where you're not familiar, provides a real uh, opportunity to see someone vulnerably. Yeah. So you added more than just movement, mm. you added risk. Mm -hmm. 
and you added playfulness. There's a beautiful book by Eli Finkel called The All or Nothing Marriage. And he talks about really what creates a sense of aliveness in mm. relationships. And one of the things he highlights is the importance of doing new things. Not just doing things that you both enjoy, that you're comfortable with. That's good, but that breeds friendship. Mm. Whereas when you do new things that also involve unknown, mystery, risk, mm -hmm. curiosity, that's where you actually bring in excitement and in my language also desire. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. That, that makes complete sense. And I love those words. Those words we don't often use around relationships. Risk, mystery, like... I do. Puzzle. Yeah, they, no, no, I know, but you just don't hear them as no, much. No, not like, enough. Not you enough. don't hear them enough at all around relationships. You always feel mystery was something you had on date one or when you saw that person from across the room, right? Like that's when the mystery was and there isn't any, but I couldn't agree with you more that... But that's because people prefer sometimes to create an illusion mm. of familiarity As if I know you like you're the inside of my pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until you do something I absolutely did not expect you to do. And then suddenly I realize and I say, I thought I knew you. The real beauty is to know that whoever is next to you, who you think is already so familiar and so known, is actually still mm -hmm. somewhat mysterious, somewhat elusive. And that's where you maintain your curiosity next to the person that is with you. You know, faced with the unknown, you can either react with fear and try to flatten it and just ignore all of that and just hold on to what's familiar, or you can nurture it and then you are actually engaging with the mystery and the curiosity that is right in front of you. And that you know from your spiritual work that is very much taken from that notion. Mm -hmm. How you then, because that allows you to sit like this when you're talking with your partner because you're still attentive and curious versus like this. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Let's let's say someone decides to break up or maybe they're broken up with and we can talk about both sides of that. If we talk about the side of someone's decided to break up with someone for their own reasons, and of course there could be a million reasons for mm -hmm. breaking up with someone, so it's hard to be specific there. But if someone's broken up with someone but they are having those feelings, as you said, the consequences will be you'll still have that grief of what could have been, you have the consequences of maybe it could have worked, maybe we should have tried. There's still a feeling of, I wish they were still around. I used to talk to them every day at 7 p.m. at night. I used to, on a Friday night, we'd always go to this favorite restaurant, whatever it may have been, we have these memories. What do people do with that feeling? What do you do with that feeling of craving? You know, you do a lot of different things, but It's so interesting. I literally edited a new episode for the podcast, for Where Should We Begin, of a guy who leaves his wife, who he had been very close to for quite a few years, has a young child, moves in with another woman, is on the verge a few years later of marrying that other woman and can't do it and has felt guilt and remorse and regret and longing for all those years and starts to meet the mother of his child again, not just as a mother, but, but now they're going on a first date again. And it's like, I left you and then I came back to you. It's an incredible story to see one person, that, because that is a question that doesn't have one answer. But in this case, he couldn't leave her fast enough, but he could never leave her fully. 
And I can't tell you today if he's back with her or what, but I have a sense that something when he was about to marry this other woman held him back, mm. that he couldn't necessarily put into words and that made him feel like he had to examine himself, which is what this whole conversation on where should we begin is about. And I've never had that particular version of it, but it is the one that most responds to your question. But you're wow. going to have to go listen. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. No, and I recommend everyone go and listen to that if that's a question you've been asking yourself. I, I think that heartache that that people feel often feels endless, as you said. It can just go on and on and on forever. People feel like, we've always heard, you know, time will heal all wounds, but... Who instigated the breakup? Is the really changes a lot? Or if it was mutual? Is it ever mutual? Yes. Okay. I think I think that uh, it is often mutual where two people say we evolved into something else or it just didn't work. Or, you know, both people may have felt it, but one person mm. was able to say, let's yeah, do it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and the person who is more afraid of abandonment and rejection and all of that is often more the person who may not say it, but that doesn't mean they didn't feel it. Many people tell you, I didn't have the guts to do it, but it's the best thing that happened to me. Mm -hmm. My partner pushed it. I didn't want it then. So between what happens in the moment mm -hmm. and how people experience the consequence, it's not one and the same. Mm. Yes, the person yes, who yes, may yes. have pushed it yes. may be the one who has the most regret. The person who was more hesitant, it may be the one who actually is most liberated. Yeah, It's, not, yes, it's yeah. a much more intricate puzzle Absolutely. than just... Of course, of course. What are some of the phases that you see people go through that can give people hope that there is another side to this? Because I think when you're in it, the emotion is, I'm never going to be loved again. I'll never find someone as good as them again. I can't trust anyone again, right? Like these are the thoughts that people are repeating in their minds. What does someone need to understand during that time to, to know? You just made me think of, of, uh, of another episode of this, but it's the daughter who describes how one day a truck came took all of her father's stuff. I mean, never comes back home. That's a story that we hear quite often. And then all the situations of betrayal, of infidelity, of falling in love with somebody else or discovering that your partner, you know, wants a fundamentally different relationship than you. And I think that the situations where you are like completely sidelined and you realize, wow, the first experience you have is that your whole sense of reality is shattered. I thought I knew my life. And this has nothing to do with where I thought I was at. How can this be happening to me? You're in a state of confusion, in a state of disbelief, and in a state of shock. And in a state where you feel like you've been just ejected from your life. You, you, you had value and you have none. Mm. So that's all part of betrayal. It's not just the lying. It's the fact that somebody could toss you away like that and that you think, I don't matter. And that's what makes you much more afraid. Will I ever find someone who can hold me, carry, care and carry me, you know, and can I trust that ever again? Because I trusted it here. The question is as much about how do I trust again? But not just how do I trust somebody else, how do I trust my own perception? That's the piece that mm, when you lose mm. the belief in your ability to know that what you believe is what is, yeah. 
then you are on such shaky ground. So it demands a real scaffolding and a rebuilding. No, you haven't lost your entire sense of perception because you have good friends, family, colleagues, mentors. There's not just that person. And you need to get your sense of value from noticing the other relationships that you have. So you need to bring those people into your life. Do not isolate at that moment. You need the people who see you differently from the one who just left you. Mm. And who, those who seek you out, those who value your presence, those who think you're great, you know. And then slowly, you often will find that you connect better with other people who have experienced a sense of betrayal like that. But betrayal is not only infidelity. It can also be in a partnership. It can be in a, being co-founders of something. And there are other relationships that go through this complete fracture. Slowly, you begin to say, it's not one person's harming me or hurting me that is a decree on who I am and my self-worth. Mm. That person hurt me deeply. I have been hurt and I learned from this and I protect myself a little bit, but I don't have to protect myself in such a way that I don't live mm. because the biggest victory on this kind of hurt is the ability to love again, mm. to trust again. You did not take that from me. That is probably your biggest vengeance is to be happy. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that, that resonates very, very strongly. And first of all, can people rebuild trust after experiencing infidelity? And what does that, process look like for someone and how different is it to what they expect it to be? The beauty of your questions is that it filled an entire book of mine because mm. <laughs> it's actually mm -hmm. a big, big topic. But if I was to try to summarize it, yes, yes, of course people can rebuild trust. I mean, that is very, not everybody and not in every situation, but the process itself very much is real. And I have met, you know, I began State of Affair by going to talk to couples that I had seen five or 10 years earlier to know whatever happens to these people. Because I see them in a moment of crisis and often I don't know afterwards. You know, they decided to stay together, they worked it through and off they went. So I wanted to know what does that relationship actually look like years later? Who are they? What happened to their bond? You rebuild trust through a few major stages. The first one is that whoever hurt you, especially if you choose to stay together, has the ability to express guilt and remorse mm. for hurting you. Even if they don't feel guilty for the affair itself, even if they have hosts of good explanations, good reasons that, that make it understandable, not justifiable, not condonable, but understandable they still can experience the guilt and the remorse for hurting you. That acknowledgement is fundamental. It's fundamental in an intimate relationship, in a friendship, or between nations, for that matter. Then it's the ability to basically become what I call the vigilante of the relationship. Mm. It means it's your job now to say how much you value the relationship mm. and to protect the relationship. So in the situation of an affair, for example, it means that instead of you're asking me questions about what I did and me hoping that you won't ask me because we've already gone through this 10 times, 
I ask you, is there something you want to ask me? Mm. Because if I bring it up, rather than hoping you won't bring it up, then I'm saying to you, I'm owning my thing. I take responsibility. I care about the relationship. And most of the time, if we have a good day, you may say to me, I don't want to talk about it. I'm having a good day. Mm. Because I am reminding us and I'm not letting it be forgotten. And I'm taking charge. That's the vigilante. I'm mm. the protector of the mm. relationship. And then number three is to explain, to talk between the people. Why did you do this? What did it mean to you? And then what did it do to me? Mm. The affair always includes both sides. Mm. If you just talk about what it meant for you, you're missing a point. If we're just talking about what it did to me, mm. we're missing a point. Mm. So the ability to not just look at the facts, what did you do, but the meaning of it. Affairs have meaning. They're stories. They tell us something about the person, about the relationship. Not always bad things for that matter. Mm. So what did it mean to you? And those three stages in the crisis phase, remorse, guilt, acknowledgement. In the insight phase, you are the vigilante and together we explore meaning making of this crisis for us. What are we going to do with this? Mm. And then phase three is if we do stay together, what's our vision for who we want to be? No, we will probably not go back to what we were because what we were may have been part of why we got to where we are. Mm. Who do we want to be? What does it open up? An affair topples the scorecard in a relationship. So I may have accepted all kinds of things because this was the way I conceived of our relationship. And I was willing to not work and I was willing to make more money. I was willing to work all the time. I was willing to do all the childcare. I was willing to do none of it. I was willing to take care of your ailing mother, of your addicted brother, whatever. I accepted a lot of things. But now this basically gives me the opportunity to also say, I also have discontent. Mm. It's not just your affair that expresses mm. the discontent. And so here's the fundamental line. Most of us today in the West are going to have two or three relationships in our adult life or marriages. Some of us are going to do it with the same person. Mm. So sometimes the affair is the end of the first marriage or the first relationship, but it can be the beginning of the next one mm. with each other. And that's the rebuilding of the trust. Mm. Well said. Yeah, no, and it's, I'm sure that's going to give people a lot of hope, but also what I love about your work and, and your books is that there's also a process there. There's a structure there. There's a method there for people to go, oh, okay, that's where we're at. That's what I'm struggling with. I think one of the biggest thoughts that repeats in people's minds when they're broken up with or when they've experienced infidelity that I hear from people is, Jay, I feel like I'm not worthy anymore. I feel like I'm not lovable again. I feel like I'm not desirable. While they are staying with the person or while they've broken up? Both. I've heard people say, I don't feel desirable because they desire someone else, but I still want to be with that person. And I don't feel worthy even with that person now, because I'm reminded constantly, as you said, of their infidelity. And these thoughts perpetuate, but what I'm hearing you say, and I'd love for you to guide us, is what I'm hearing you say is, well, that's why you need to do the meaning making, because you really need to understand their story and meaning and yours. Right now, you're just focused on yours, and that's always going to be this negative, repetitive pattern. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Whenever I travel, I feel like I become a new person. 
Like that time I explored the bustling streets of New York, I felt like I became curious, Jay, immersing myself in the vibrant culture and sampling exotic street food. And then there was that trip to the mountains where I transformed into adventurous Jay, conquering hiking trails and embracing the breathtaking scenery. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to for all my adventures. Whether I'm exploring the bustling streets of New York or venturing into the serene mountains, Booking.com has a wide variety of options, offering accommodations all across the US and all around the world that suit every kind of traveler. So when you're ready to plan your next trip and discover new sides of yourself, remember to book with Booking.com. Whether you're craving adventure in a cabin, a bit of luxury in a fancy hotel, some quality family time in a vacation rental, or just some chill vibes at a beachside resort, Booking.com has you covered. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com, Booking.yeah. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Atna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Atna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Life can be a wild ride and sometimes our gut gets thrown off track. So that butterfly in your stomach, it's probably not from excitement. It's more likely from stress or certain food choices you had for breakfast. And Ritual can help you get things back on track. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Every morning, I start my day with Symbiotic Plus. It's now an essential part of my daily routine. With its blend of prebiotics, postbiotics, and all that good stuff, I'm giving my gut the love it needs to tackle whatever comes its way throughout the day. There's no shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Shetty. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Shetty for 25% off. You remind me of uh, a couple I saw and this man had done something that was really egregious in some way because he had taken everything that was special to the relationship and shared it with the other person mm. but everything wow their favorite places restaurants clothing i mean wow. he had left nothing sacred that's a devaluing mm. right and whenever he, they would drive there was a way when they would arrive to a place and she would look at him and it was like there too mm. and so he would dread it because he knew he was guilty as charged. And then I began to say to him, I want you every time you drive, when there is a place, you say yes. There too, without waiting for the question. Because you know that you have to stand, but when there is, that you have to stand accountable. But when there is a place not, you say no. 
they not before the question comes up that's part of the vigilante mm. so that you protect the relationship and you bring back the value you say you know now go create new places too that are new for the two of you and that you need new cells you can't just go back and try to re-enter the spaces that you were in the loss of value gets addressed by having someone who is slowly reclaiming the value. The feeling is true, but it doesn't mean that because they had desire for someone else, they had none for you. Actually, sometimes they had desire for someone else because you had none for them. Mm. You know, the person who mm. says that to you is comes with one particular story, but there's so many stories. Mm. You know, sometimes you have a person who was completely in, uninterested for a decade and then they are upset that their partner was interested with somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you know, I was there available for you and you dumped mm -hmm. me for someone that you looked at with a bigger, you know, fonder eyes. So what people experience after the betrayal doesn't always tell the story of what happened before. Mm. That's why the meaning making is so really important. You know, sometimes somebody is going to say to the other, you devalued me for 10 years. You barely paid any attention to me. You were so enraptured in your work. You were so busy with your phone. You were so, you know, you, I was abandoned long before, you know, and that also needs to be put into the story. The story doesn't start mm. the moment that you discover something mm. because there are a lot of moving pieces underneath and people addressing this with care Carefulness and responsibility is the process. It's, the hope doesn't come from nowhere. It comes because two people say, this is important. We built something. We've been together 5, 10, 15 years, 25 years. We're not letting this just go. Now we need to reclaim the value of this for both of us. Absolutely. This idea that we're going to have two to three relationships in our adult, adult life and they could either be with the same person or, of course, with two to three different people. And I think this idea of choice and selection has obviously rapidly changed because of technology and apps and the amount of people you can bump into. You know, I looked at studies saying that, you know, 25 years ago, most people ended up with someone within a five-mile radius of where they grew up. We know that that's not the case anymore. People are moving countries for people, moving states. People are living in different parts of the world. We both live in different parts of the world than where we grew up. And so when I look at that, one of the biggest challenges I find or, or that I hear from people is because there's so much selection, there's a sense of like, I'm not feeling any spark. I'm not feeling any chemistry. I don't feel a connection with this person. I hear that a lot. And we'll, let's address that. And then the other thing I hear is this idea of like, you know, this guy didn't have as much as the other guy or, you know, and you start comparing it because you can, because you're just exposed to so many more people now. And you're almost comparing resumes of people that you've heard about, spoken to, seen on a dating app, introduced through your friends. So this idea of choice and the paradox of choice, as it's always been called in studies, from products to people now, you know, we can get stuck at a grocery store wondering which product to buy, but in, in dating, it feels like you can keep going because you can just keep swiping. Let's talk about both of those, the idea of how do you choose, how do you select? And when you're choosing and selecting, how do you not feel that sense of there could be more? 
I said, choice comes with loss. I'm actually very excited about this question because I'm very interested in this at this moment, mm. right? I'm interested in the intersection of technology and relationships and mental health. And I've just done a, a bunch of episodes with people in the dating scene because of exactly this. So we have a frenzy of, cons of romantic consumerism in which in search of the perfect, people are no longer happy with the good. Mm -hmm. We have people looking for a soulmate on an app. That's an interesting combination between spirituality and capitalism. Mm -hmm. And how do we even think that a partner is a soulmate? Soulmate used to be God, you know? And now we want transcendence and mystery and wholeness and all of it and ecstasy almost with a person. You know, the stuff that people looked for in the realm of the divine, they now want with their person. Mm. And at the same time, they're doing it with a checklist so that many dating experiences are like job interviews. Mm -hmm. So all of that combined, right? I do think we have more choice, but we also have a lot more uncertainty and a lot more self-doubt. Mm -hmm. And we are a lot less capable of handling uncertainty mm. because we live with a host of predictive technologies that are all meant to take away uncertainties, obstacle, friction, you know, rough edges. So we don't rub anymore with stuff that helps us deal with uncertainty, unknown, and engage with happenstance. You know, happenstance means you stand in line and you start talking to the person that is behind you in line. And after that, you go and have a drink with that person. And after that, you find yourself exchanging numbers and a story starts. Mm -hmm spontaneously, unprompted. So I think that the commodification that people feel is real. It's not just because of your childhood. It's part of society at this point. There is a way in which we talk about ourselves as products. And there is a way in which we talk about ourselves online with followers as if we are religious leaders, mm -hmm. you and me for that matter. So the first thing, don't go in thinking that you have to find somebody at the first meeting. That's not the way it works. And that you go down your list and, you know, it, and then the, if the, the first thing that goes wrong, you go ick and you just go on to the next. Mm -hmm. You know, what I'm doing now when I address this very question mm. is I show a very famous clip that's classic in psychology called the still face experiment. Mm. Have you ever seen it? No, I haven't. It's a two-minute clip on YouTube. In the still face experiment, the mother is playing with the little one and the little one is cooing and showing her things and, you know, and then at some point the mother goes still face mm. and the kid continues to point and continues to call her attention. And within 30 seconds or less of the mother not responding, the kid goes into a panic, a frenzy, loses its body composure, starts shrieking. And basically, you understand that we are relational people from... Mm. And what this clip shows me is that this is what goes on in ghosting, mm. in breadcrumbing, mm. in checklisting. This is what is the experience of many people at this moment. You go, you have a hedonic treadmill, you meet someone, you think there's possibilities, and then they disappear mm -hmm. on you, and you're left like this, and then you unravel. And you do this sometimes 20 times a day with the same person. This is kind of the experience of modern dating. Yeah, in this absolutely. Moment. I haven't seen many people say, I love it. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe 65% of meeting people meet on an app, but I don't see people saying, I love it. 
actually it's the number one complaint of people dating at this moment. Mm -hmm. So try to bring back something that is more humane. You meet somebody or a friend introduces you to someone, don't go and meet with them alone in a bar to have a face-to-face conversation to go down an interview. Do an activity. It's exactly what you were talking about. Do something you enjoy doing. Bring that person to a thing that you're doing with friends. You want to get to know somebody, put them in a social situation. See how they interact with people, how they act, how they respond, how they engage with people. If you think that you're going to have epiphanies with clarity like an app... Forget it. You will be exhausted and you won't meet anybody. Really well said. <laughs> and I and I could agree with you more. I'm always trying to push people away. I'm like, get out of your inbox and your DMs and your messages and get out there. There's no way talking to someone over a couple of messages is going to help you figure anything out. But you've probably spoken to so many people who've had chemistry, lost chemistry, never had it. I feel like a lot of people today that I hear from, they're meeting people, but they're like, there's no spark, there's no chemistry, I'm not feeling anything. What should we want to feel if there is anything we should want to feel at all with someone? And what is the difference between chemistry, compatibility, and connection? First of all, I think we need to differentiate. Are you looking for chemistry for a love story? Mm -hmm. Or are you looking for chemistry for a life story? Mm. Lots of people you can have chemistry with, have a fantastic night with for that matter or more, Mm -hmm. but that's not the person you necessarily want to make a life with. Mm. The project will determine the nature of the chemistry, Mm -hmm. right? That's Mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. So number two is curiosity, a desire for more. I want to, you know, it's like you read a book. A person is a book, right? Or you can use other metaphors. Do you drag yourself through the next page? You know, I should, you know, let me see where it goes. Mm -hmm. Or like you can't wait. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a page turner. (laughs) If you know, if the experience of the page turner with a person, you want more, you want to have the next conversation. You want to ask them that kind of question. You want to go do something else with them. You're on a good track. You know, this notion of this instant combustion of emotion that fills you up. You want a religious experience. Mm. That is not always the case. Sometimes people fall like that, you know, as we say, fall. but the majority of the time, it, th- things grow, you know, they grow through the interaction. You get a good text, you like what you just read, you find yourself wanting to answer a sentence and you've just answered two pages. You know, you wanted to go and meet them for half an hour and three hours later, you're still sitting on the floor in the hallway having an enthralling conversation. That's the stuff that breeds the feelings. If you sit there like this and think that some, you know, deus ex machina is going to fall from the heavens, you're off. You know, it's this false certainty that is not the majority of people. And there's many ways in. Some people start hot and then they become lukewarm. And some people start lukewarm and the heat grows over time. Mm. There isn't one narrative this notion that hollywood has sold us mm. that just like ah oh, and i can't wait and i just have this i fall for you on the spot that's one plot but yeah. there are many plots and if you constrain yourself in thinking this is how i should be feeling and i'm not feeling it mm. then you you are limiting your options yeah well one thing that has really come up a lot with people I've spoken to recently is this idea of they find someone who makes them feel safe, who they feel cared for by, and 
the person seems to be, they consider them to be good-hearted. Mm-hmm. That person makes... I'm waiting for the but. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You're right. You already know. You already know. This person, in their words, makes sense. Mm-hmm. But they feel like they're settling because there must be someone else who has all of that plus the other three things that they want. You are a perfect candidate for romantic consumerism, if you think this way. You've been had. You've been, literally, you've become a good person that I can, we can, you know, you, you, your mind is set for somebody telling you, this is the product you need, mm. the perfect fit. And then you are going to be the perfect patient who comes in thinking, I thought my person was like this and this and this, and they're not the deal that I bargained for. It's not what was written on paper. You can leave the language. It's like business You know, capitalism enters romantic <laughs> life. Mm, it's, mm. it's really crippling to people. You know, the more you have this notion of perfection, the, lo- the higher you can fall. Mm. You know, are you perfect? Are you that great? Do you think that everybody falls for Like, what is this notion? So then there is this idea that there is the sense and settling with the passion, you know, and you should have that passion. Passion is a wonderful feeling to have. It's maybe not the best thing to decide if you want to have a life with somebody on. Mm. It's not the most important ingredient for that. Mm. You know, that doesn't mean you don't want excitement, intensity, you know, draw. But this idea that there is reason and passion, that's a very old divide. That's the, that is the, the divide of the 19th century, the rationalists and the romantics. And why do you say that? Why do you think that, And I, and I get that you're giving a balanced approach there, but to enlighten all yeah, of yeah. us in what Go you've ahead. seen, you compared the love story and the life story. Yes. Why do you think it almost feels like what we've been sold is for the love story, but the life story requires a different set of skills. Yes, yes skills and values and yeah. compatibilities mm. because there are many more people that you can love mm. than people you can make a life with. Mm. I can have many love stories with people that I meet on a trip that I, you know, with whom I have a, a beautiful short story with. Mm. But would that be the person with whom I can, do, do we share anything else in terms of how we see life? Mm. With everything else that life brings, that's a different thing. That doesn't mean you don't want love in the life story, <laughs> but many more love stories can exist without life story. Mm. not that many life stories will exist without a love story mm. you know you can call it an adventure you can call it you know and it is what people used to do when they date before they're looking for someone yeah. with whom they want to have a more committed relationship it's very important that that we see that a lot of the things that we're looking for are the things that make for a real love story mm. the things we want to feel the things that are on the checklist are the things that we've kind of created a, a, an impossible situation. Mm. It's really, so you don't settle. If you see that language says what? I am fantastic, you know, or I am not fantastic, but I'm going to find someone fantastic who's going to make me <laughs> mm. rise. Mm. And it is a kind of use of people that really is, is creating such a psychological paucity. It's really eroding people's sense of self-esteem and sense of self-worth. It's mm. not good. Yeah. Where are you at in your life? At 23, you're going to think differently from 33. You know, at, 20, at 33, it's likely that you're going to think of a few people that you said no to at 23 that were perfectly fine. Mm. And you kind of didn't because you kept thinking, I can do better. 
And this I can do better is eating people up mm. because it creates constant restlessness in relationships, in life, in pursuit. And then they need to go and meditate <laughs> to get calmer, to be less restless. But the restlessness is this constant pursuit of more, better, younger, and therefore living with the feeling not enough. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. And that's the crisis that then follows around self-worth. Because you constantly want more, you end up constantly feeling not enough. Yeah. And someone else will make me feel more than enough. Yes. The Miss evaluation, yeah. the, you know, the, the, the meaning of finding the love partner today is that it will end my sense of constant self-evaluation. Mm. I'm evaluating myself. I'm presenting myself. I'm selling myself. I'm trying to compete on the market it's like language, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the romantic language is about the market, you know, the meat. And then when I find you, my beloved, I will finally stop the process of evaluation. This is a, a thing from Eva Ilus, a great sociologist that studies love relationships. Mm, that's such a beautiful language as well, that you want to end your process of evaluation when actually a life story is an evolution of self-evaluation. It's only going to come with more. Do you see there being inherent value in long-term committed relationships? Or is that also a construct of society? I see, look, I work very cross-culturally, mm -hmm. right? So I, I don't think the answer is the same mm -hmm. if I am in Belgium, in India, in Turkey. But I think there is a lot of value in a long-term relationship, but the long-term relationship has doubled in lifespan. Mm -hmm. So a hundred years ago, we lived half of now. So the long term gets, keeps on getting longer. Mm -hmm. But there is also tremendous value in having had the possibility of finally being able to end this mm. and to start anew or to never have had it and to start anew. People who marry for the first time in their 60s or people who realized that they had a beautiful relationship for certain things and that now they needed something else. The marriage was an institution that you couldn't leave. You got in and you got in for life. And if you didn't like it, you could hope for a hurry, an early death of your partner, yeah. you know, <laughs> because that was the only way out. And yeah. especially for women. I mean, marriage has not meant the same mm -hmm. for men and women. Mm -hmm. Marriage for same-sex people is very recent. So the question has a lot of different yeah. pieces. I think that there is something very beautiful in a long novel. Mm. And I think that there are beautiful short stories. Mm -hmm. There isn't a one size fits all at this moment. And the interesting thing is we've been creative about a lot of things. Mm. We disrupt, we are creative about even family life. We have blended families, same-sex families, single-parent families, accordion families. But when it comes to romantic couples, romanticism the exclusiveness, the monogamous long-term model has been the dominant model for two centuries and, and is quite um, strong. Mm. So I think we can be more creative. Mm. And in, in rethinking relational arrangements and relationship arrangements that are more diverse and that bring in other people as in the community. Because what is happening in the long-term relationship of today is not only that it is much longer, but it is also much more isolated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Longer yeah? and lonelier. Yeah. Longer and lonelier. One person to give us what normally an entire village should mm -hmm. provide. Mm -hmm. And that is crippling the relationships under so much weight and so many expectations. So those, those who do it well, mm. do it better. 
than the relationships of the past, says Eli Finkel. But the majority of them don't manage to climb the Olympus. Mm, mm, yeah, and I, you know, I often think about that because I think what we were talking about earlier, when I first met my wife, I definitely say that there was so much of the romanticism of the perfect relationship. And I often talk about in my book as well about how I proposed to my wife, which was basically based off of Instagram and YouTube videos, how I invented a proposal <laughs> that was so not personal or not. She liked it? Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. So, and if anyone's heard this story before, I apologize, but I, I want Esther I to don't have, know it, so have the context. Yeah. <laughs> so we'd been together, I think at that point for like, maybe I proposed after like a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And so we'd been together. I decided I was going to propose. We were walking down the bank of the River Thames in London. Mm -hmm. I had an a cappella group jumped out and sing Bruno Mars, Will You Marry Me? Like, Marry You to her. They gave her a bouquet of flowers. They performed this amazing number. I got down on one knee. I proposed. We both shed a tear. She said yes. Uh, we then had dinner on the side of the Thames where I had to kind of finagle a table from a restaurant. I had food that was brought in, but it was cold because everything had gone wrong on the timing. So we ate cold food, which was, we didn't mind. My wife is amazing, so she didn't care. But it, but I was looking at that going, hmm. And then we walked around the corner and we ended up on a white horse-drawn carriage that I'd booked that took us around London on this beautiful carriage and it was a beautiful trip. And then we got on the train to go back to her parents And we got home to her parents. Her parents opened the door and they said, what happened to you to her? Uh, she had hives all over her face because that was the day I discovered that she was allergic to horses. And I didn't know that and she didn't know that. And I've always looked back and reflected at that story because my wife said, yes, she's never complained about it. She was happy with it. But when I really look at it and as I've got to know her more and more every year, and like you said, I feel like I get to know more of her new things and old things every year. We've been together for 10 years now. And I still feel like every day I'm discovering something new about her. I realized that that was the most impersonal show of love ever. It wasn't, the song wasn't specific to her. The horse-drawn carriage wasn't specific to her. The, the food was the only thing my wife would care about because she's a big foodie and that's her world. And it was cold. And I look back at that event and I go, I'm lucky she said yes, but actually the hives were a reminder to me of how little I knew my wife at that time. Or, or <laughs> and the how eager you were to impress. How eager, exactly. How I was a complete show of ego. I was um, 20, maybe six, okay. 27, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and just what a show it was as opposed to Did you to come a, from traditional families? Uh, I would say we come from, yeah, like, I would say we come from more traditional families. Yes, yeah, definitely. They're, they're modern thinking, but generally traditional overall in the world. Uh, and it was, Were they arranged marriages or were they? My mum and dad were, and pretty much hers was as well. Yeah, pretty much her parents were as well. Okay, so that's a major yeah. transition. So when you ask me about long-term relationships, I think people who are in an arranged marriage system answer that question very differently. Yes than people who start with the romantic. You know what the research says, right? What does, I, I've seen bits, but please clarify. Yeah, I don't that, assume. I, I think it's Dan Ariely's research that oh. uh, people who start with romantic and falling in love and passion are much more likely to then experience a, a dissatisfaction in the relationship mm. than the majority of people who start in an arranged situation, which is much more rational, 
actually their satisfaction rises as they get to know each other and develop the fondness and the relationship. And I think this is true if the relationship is good. Yeah, if it's good. But for <laughs> those for whom it was a, really not a good match, I, it must be... Horrific. Horrific. Yeah. And, and I think the reason why I was sharing that story was because I think what I've realized, and you were mentioning this earlier, is that I feel like I found the person who has helped me continue self-evaluation in a way that I would have avoided with someone else or that I would have tried to avoid if I would have had multiple love stories. Mm -hmm. Whereas this life story that I have with my wife currently is just the most purifying and cleansing, detoxifying process internally, but in the most fun, loving and caring way. And I look at that and I, I think about that often where I think to myself, I would have had to learn these lessons with anyone, but maybe someone else may not be able to challenge me as much as my wife does with the lack of criticism and complaint and judgment in a safe space with humor, which actually makes it accessible to me. And it's, it's one of these really interesting reflections that I wanted to share with you to hear your thoughts on that. Because I don't think I would, there are so many skills today that I have only because I married this particular person. There are, there are so many emotional parts of myself that I've been able to discover because of this person. There have been so many, you, <laughs> you know. You know what you're telling me in some way is you didn't succeed in impressing her. I have never succeeded right? in impressing so, my wife. And, and it that's is the her, best that's lesson. That's her power. Yeah. You know, I mean, not that you're not impressive to her, that she doesn't appreciate and admire, but you didn't succeed. Till in, this day. Right. And <laughs> therefore, her opinion matters. Yeah. And therefore, she can keep you on your toes. And therefore, she doesn't let you sit on your laurels and get away with stuff. And therefore, she can see you in a more humble way when you come home from having done 40 stage events after another, where you get, you know, clapped the whole time and you kind of lose a sense of, you know, proportions. And that is an extremely, I think that you're very lucky and not just lucky because you found her, but also because you knew you knew that you did need someone who challenges you and who can hold hers to you, but do it in a way that doesn't feel authoritarian or humiliating or mm -hmm. ball busting, etc. And so it creates the right friction. Mm -hmm. She cares and she can criticize. She loves and she can challenge. She, you know, it's both and. And that, that holding those tensions in a relationship is in my mind, very important and very, um, gives a lot of strength and energy to a relationship. Yeah. I think, um, I, yeah. Oh, sorry, please. Go no, ahead. no, yeah. that's it. I think the, the, it's your self-awareness of it that is really good. It's like, if you had somebody who just looks like that, it would have been a problem. If you had somebody who just did that, it would have been a problem. But you knew that you needed that. Yeah. And I don't think I knew it before we started having that experience, but it, it just became really evident to me that she loves me for who I am, not what I do and, and what I achieve and how I try to impress, for example. And I think that's a great reminder for me to love myself for who I am and not love myself for what I achieve or what I do or what I create. And I think that that is a really, I'm like, that's uh, the it's great- It's very important. Yeah, very. yeah to, to have some, yeah. And, and, and it's also how you perceive it. I think what you're saying is true. Like I've talked about it with people. I could easily perceive it and people could perceive it and say, Jay, you're just, 
a pushover, Jay, you're just, you know, making it up, you're making sense of something and it's bad treatment or whatever. And I'm like, well, no, because I can see that it's done from love and care and it's humor, as you said, like it, it's done from such a special loving place that I feel that I know it's a knowingness that it is liberating and it is, it is wonderful, but it's interesting because I think a lot of people may have that experience, but they don't want to be humble. They don't want to access that point. And I'm fortunate that my, my monk training is kicks in there and, and allows for that vulnerability and self-reflection and not thinking I'm perfect. Whereas I wonder if that's, we're scared to do that because we almost want our partner to make us feel perfect. No, I think, I think that this, this thing of perfection is, uh, I think we want our partners to recognize us and accept us but in it comes our imperfection. In the, but it comes in the form of, at least in the beginning, demanding adoration and Yeah, but the beginning honor. is only the beginning. Yeah. It's one phase <laughs> of a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think uh, my, my friend Terry Real has this beautiful definition, self-esteem or self-worth or self-confidence is seeing ourselves as flawed, imperfect people and still hold ourselves in high regard. If you actually need to see yourself as perfect, mm. you lack the confidence. The confidence is the ability to make mistakes and not to not sleep over it for three weeks because you feel such shame and such, you know, intense attack on your identity but i have a question from you Please. for you that from what you've just said do you feel that these days on both sides of on all sides of the spectrum of the gender spectrum that people are so enraptured with the notion of identity and holding on to the self that they find accepting influence from another person an instant threat to their identity like pushover Pushover is, is, is like, you know, it, 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 it's a power dynamic instantly when you use that word. You know, if you accept what your wife says, what kind of a man are you, right? You're just a pushover. That's more in the masculine version. Yeah, the yeah. Women have it in the, and, but it is along the whole spectrum. Something about the way we are so busy protecting our mm, egos mm. is making everything that involves letting someone else actually have influence over us, which is part of what being in a relationship mm. is about about mm. as an attack. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to discuss this with you and my, my reflection from what you were saying, and I was nodding along because I, there's so much of it that I agree with. I think that what I see is most of us struggle to know ourselves when we get into a relationship. So I, I think I'd propose that I don't think most people have a lot of self-awareness when they get into a romantic relationship. So they don't actually have a conscious sense of self-identity. We have a subconscious sense of self-identity in the sense of what our parents taught us and what family and media, we have all this mix of stuff, but we wouldn't, if I asked someone to lay out their top 10 values, they wouldn't be able to do that because they'd be like, I'm not sure. And what ends up happening, I think in that scenario is you adopt the values of the other person. And then at some point, you go, wait a minute, I've just been doing what you want. And you think that person made you adopt their values, but actually you just didn't know yours. And so I think you see that happen in mm -hmm. some relationships. In other relationships, I think what you're saying is true. People are so definitive about their own self-identity 
that they go into a relationship going, I'm not going to get influenced at all by this person. And I think that also happens because we're getting into long-term relationships later in life. So if you're going into a relationship later in life, chances are you actually have, you know who you are and what you want to do and what you're building and what's important to you. When you're younger, you're less self-aware. When you're older, hopefully you're somewhat more self-aware. And so you're more concrete in your ideology. But the opposite could be equally true. The opposite true. could be equally when true. When you're young, you think you know everything and you're certain about stuff you have no certainty about. Totally. And when you get older, you actually become more flexible because you realize that there isn't one way for everything. Totally. Exactly. So it can be both ways. And I think overall, I think the point that at least I think we're trying to get to, which I like, is that it's a bit of both. There's, there's, it's almost like I read, I'm trying to find this poem and I can't find it ever since I read it. It's one yeah. of those, and I'm sharing it here because hopefully someone finds it. I read this poem while I was researching and there was this beautiful poet and I can't find it. I've like, I've like looked for it and everything, but this poet was talking about how when you are single, you've been building your home with the bricks that you were given. And your home is broken and some of it's beautiful because that's how we are as people. Some parts of our home make sense and some part of the bricks are falling out. And he said, when you come into a relationship, you want the other person to move into your home. You want them to come to your home and the other person wants you to go to their home. But actually what you need to do is take the bricks you both like from your own homes and build a new home together. And I really love that visual, the idea that this unified agreement, which was the language you used, or this idea that you're saying of like, how much do I allow the influence without feeling powerless, but to feel like we're co-creating something. You know, my wife and I have a lot of agreements that they're not rules or contracts, but they're agreements of how we deal with certain things. And it, it's something we've created together. It's not something we adopted from my parents, her parents, or anywhere else. And I feel that if we walked into a relationship and said, what do we want to build together? What do we want to create together? What does what a good, healthy relationship mean to us? To me, those questions at least feel empowering as opposed to draining of power. One of the complementarities in relationships that, is that we are often drawn to a person who brings characteristics that we are trying to get away from. Mm, so true. So you true. Understand? Yeah, so true. So it's a, I mean, it, it, when it's dynamic, it's really a, a very beautiful, you know, <laughs> <laughs> kneading of the dough. Yeah. So Esther, throughout our conversation, you've been referencing this new course of yours, which I'm so excited for people to do because I feel like so many of what things we've discovered today with your books and the your work. The main practice. Yes, exactly. How do you actually apply it? So please tell us where we can find this course and the name of the course and where it is. Turning Conflict into Connection. It's a one hour, eight videos with a fantastic workbook that really not just helps you fight better and more constructively, but also helps you relate better. Because if you have a different attitude toward conflict, you have a whole different relationship. Mm. It's on my website, estherperel.com, and it's coming out October 10. Okay, amazing. Well, I recommend everyone who's listening and watching, make sure you go and check out the course. If you've loved this conversation, I know you're going to get so much value from it, so much insight. And of course, uh, make sure you go and take a look at all of Esther's books as well. So please check those out. I want to do one last thing, Esther, with you. Yes. Because you did our final five last time. Yeah, because when we don't fight, I want you to play. And so <laughs> first I created the game. I said, let's play. I love it. This is Esther's beautiful game, Where Should We Begin? A Game of Stories by Esther Perel. If you don't have this, grab it too. We're going to 
pick a couple of cards and and have some fun with this. Open uh, it like a chocolate. Box. Oh, there we go. Oh, like oh, there we go. There we go. Like a chocolate. I'm Belgian. Do you, do, you know, you know what's really? I love chocolate. So you speak in my language completely. <laughs> we are <All> right. two. <laughs> I'm going to take this out and we're going to shuffle these cards. And then what do we do? Pick one at random. Yes, we pick. Look, this is, you know, relationships are stories. Yeah. And we tell stories about yeah. ourselves to people at every level. Yeah. Um, and we recreate connection, intimacy, and fun. I, you pick. This is fun. Oh, I'm picking first? <laughs> Let's All right, start then you hold you. it. You shuffle it yeah. too, then I'll, to make sure everyone knows that this is truly random. I want to have some fun, and I love stuff like this. So I love games. I love play. Like one of my wife's and I's favorite things to do is we play a lot of pickleball right now. We Will love you write to me after you've played with her? Escape rooms. Yeah, I'm going to, this one, I'm going to, yeah, definitely. I'd love to. All right. All right. Off okay. we go. Okay. If you don't like it, you pick another. Oh, okay. Is that how it works? Well, it works like now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do a few. I'll do a few because they're yeah. quick. Uh, so at a party, you'll find me is the prompt. Mm -hmm. And so at a party, you'll find me finding the one person I can have a deep, meaningful conversation with, sitting in the corner with them and having existential conversations for the whole night. And people may not even know I was at the party. That would be me. Really? Yes. So then we'd just be sitting next to each other. Great. I love that. So I'd do that with you. I love it. Awesome. Um, oh, me again. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, you're like poking that out to me. This is like. I right. caught it. There we go. All right. Oh, wow. If I could change something about the way I was raised, it would be. So the easy answer, the first thing that came to mind is I wouldn't change anything because I'm really happy with the human I am today and how my life has gone the way mm -hmm. it has. I, I really, I really think that is my honest answer. But if I, if I could change something about the way I was raised. And it doesn't just have to be your family. Yeah. I would say it would be, I would have loved earlier on to know that there were so many more careers and paths in the world. So when I met the monks, when I was 18 years old, that was the first time my mind was open to that path. But it took me years to recognize that you could have a career in media or that you could have a career in Do this. Do, do this. Like I had never <laughs> thought, I never knew any of that. Like I literally thought there were like three, it sounds ridiculous, but I was so limited in my thinking growing up because of what I was surrounded by. I would change that. I want people to know that there are so many different, I didn't know you could be a therapist. I didn't know you could be a neuroscientist. I didn't know you could be, any, I would have wanted to be a neuroscientist if I knew that existed. I didn't uh, know I can be a therapist outside my office. Mm. I've worked in a field that is very confidential. I could never talk about what I did. And through the podcast, I'm able to work with people who are not patients, will never be. And so I can actually bring what is happening between between the four walls to the world and bring the world inside the office and you can be a fly on the wall in someone else's session. Amazing. So just to remind everyone, the game is called Where Should We Begin? Uh, you can also, or the game as well, play with, with your, your friends, friends and family. And with your, your yeah. dates, with your partner. You grab a few cards, you put in your pocket, you can leave the box yes. and off you go into Storyland. I love it. And you can surprise someone with chocolates in it too. Seeing as oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can mix, you can mix and <laughs> I match. I love it. Esther, it's been such an honor, honestly, talking to you. I, I feel so, it's really interesting when you talk to someone and you just feel like you've immersed yourself so deeply in this space for so many decades and the wisdom shines through your words. It shines through your empathy at the same time, your assertiveness. I 
I'm so grateful that you do what you do for the world. Honestly, I, I learned so much from you. I learned so much from your work. I'm a, I'm a student of your work and I honestly feel humbled and grateful that I've got to spend this time with you. And I highly encourage everyone to go and immerse themselves in your world in all ways. So thank you so much for the gift thank that you, you offer to the world. I really mean that. Thank you. Yeah, thank it means you. a lot. I mean it. Thank you. If you love this episode, you're going to love my conversation with Matthew Hussey on how to get over your ex and find true love in your relationships. People should be compassionate to themselves, but extend that compassion to your future self. Because truly extending your compassion to your future self is doing something that gives him or her a shot at a happy and a peaceful life. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Atna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth, no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.